You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Southern Peanut Growers, committed to making sustainable more attainable for chefs and cooking enthusiasts worldwide. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I am your host, Katie Kiefer. And today I am chatting with one Andrew DeCoriolos uh, from Farm Forward. He's been on the show before, and I'm going to ask him to tell you a little bit about himself and what he does for Farm Forward. And then guess what we're going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about, um, it's like sort of the natural extension of our last show, Andrew, because we talked about humane washing in the last episode. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, and now we're going to be talking about um, raised without antibiotics, the scandal that uh, came and went very quickly without a lot of notice, but I noticed, and so did you. So, Andrew, take it away. Tell me about yourself and uh, remind us of what Farm Forward is. Thanks, Katie. It's great to be back. Um, so, mm-hmm. my name is Andrew Coriolis. I'm the executive director of Farm Forward. Uh, we're a farm animal protection organization focused on changing the way that we raise animals for food. And mm-hmm. our goal is to promote conscientious food choices that reduce farmed animal suffering and support sustainable agriculture. Um, our work really runs the gamut, everything from work on state and federal policy to uh, work with some of the largest food companies in the country to change the ways that they raise uh, animals for food. And the issue we're talking about today about antibiotics uh, in meat Uh, comes from an investigation that both Farm Forward conducted and published earlier this year, as well as, as you you mentioned in the intro, this uh, really damning science article published uh, earlier earlier this year. It was uh, published, right, and it was in April, uh, and it was Lance Price and a few other uh, notables. Um, Lance, of course, has been in the forefront of sounding the alarm bells about antibiotic use in farm animals for, you know, probably a decade now. I've certainly been aware of him. He's at the, for people who want to know more about Lance Price and his work, uh, Milken Institute of Public Health at George Washington University. Um, And it was Science Magazine and a paper that Lance and his colleagues wrote uh, that first well, first you got my attention, Andrew, from Farm Forward, and then I, you know, started doing some research, and it turned out the Washington Post had also published a very large, uh, you know, for them, uh, you know, quite a comprehensive article around April seventh, I believe. If people want to go back and take a look at that, and um, the study that Lance uh, and his colleagues produced identified uh, beef cattle that were certified as raised without antibiotics but which in fact tested positive for antibiotics. And this, of course, mirrors the, uh, the, the study that you, your organization also did. So, so describe for us, you know, how, first of all, how did you get interested? How did you guys, why did you start investigating this in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question, Katie. So I think most of your listeners will know that um, antibiotics are routinely used on uh, farms, and they're used for a variety of reasons. Uh, but in industrial farms, they're primarily used to compensate for typically unsanitary conditions that are uh, creating animal health issues. Right. Um, so, you know, if you're looking in the conventional meat industry, antibiotics and antimicrobials are, you know, really routinely used. Something like 70% of all antibiotics that are uh, sold in the United States get fed to farmed animals. So it's That's an right. incredibly widespread uh, problem. Our, our interest in it really came from 
our work trying to improve conditions for farmed animals and certifications like Global Animal Partnership, which is used by Whole Foods. These programs that, um, you know, supposedly or allegedly um, prohibit the use of antibiotics, as well as promote better farm practices. And we've been hearing for many years that there are issues with these systems, these, these, these programs that are supposed to verify the claims that are made on premium meat products. We've heard right. that, you know, there are bad actors in the system, people who are cheating, or there mm-hmm. are, uh, you know, people who are um, perhaps sloppy and not uh, checking carefully to see if their uh, systems are, are working the way that they should be. And mm-hmm. we wanted to find out more. So we began uh, buying meat products primarily from Whole Foods, but testing meat we were buying off of store shelves to find see if we could find antibiotic residue in uh, meat that's labeled as, you know, Global Animal Partnership or uh, raised without antibiotics. And, you know, much to our surprise, we, we found both an antibiotic and other antimicrobials um, in these kinds of premium meats. And we published that study earlier, earlier this year, um, which was then followed shortly after by this article uh, published in, in Science Magazine that you, that you referred to earlier. And this was a, a really large study of, you know, hundreds of animals over almost a year um, that found you know, medically important antibiotics, drugs that, you know, you and I probably have taken yeah. uh, in, in meat labeled as raised without antibiotics and animal welfare certified by Global Animal Partnership, both, you know, labels that should, if they're functioning correct, you know, correctly, you should never find uh, drugs in these products. Absolutely. And, you know, they found, they found uh, drugs in something like 20% of the uh, animals they tested. Incredible. And 20% is a lot, too. I mean, granted, the sample size, I think, was around 700, maybe. I, I kind of That's remember right. that number. Um, and I'm That's not sure right. how many tested positive, but it doesn't even matter. And I, I want to back up for on two points here that you, that you brought mm-hmm. up. First of all, you said that Global Animal Partnership is one of the ways that people can assume uh, that there that the animal has been raised without antibiotics, along with a raft of other sort of um, animal welfare uh, criteria. And your organization, and that's what we talked about. I just want to remind people of this. Mm-hmm. Your organization withdrew their support for GAP Global Animal Partnership uh, certifications because you suspected that it was nowhere near as as stringent as they were leading everyone to believe. So I, I think that's an important point for people to, you know, if you're interested in this issue, maybe go back and listen to Andrew's first episode with me, which was, I don't know, four or five months ago. Um, and, and you'll hear a lot about how these labels, uh, you know, are, are deemed humane washing by Farm Forward and other organizations, no doubt. Um, and then the second thing I want to bring up about this, just to sort of bring listeners up to speed is that we're talking about what they found uh, multiple in multiple samples were was tetracycline, which is something that we all take. These you know these medically important drugs, um, as Andrew said, seventy percent of the antibiotics sold in the United States are going into the animal agriculture sector, um, and the loss of these drugs, which we take for granted, um, would have enormous worldwide global health population. Uh, global health implications. So I just, I want to set the stage for why this is such a big deal. And the, oh, and the third thing I wanted to 
mention is that most animals, even if they're not raised without antibiotics, ha are supposed to go through a weaning process before they reach the kill floor that purges their body of antibiotics, even if they have been administered them. And the fact that these animals tested positive despite that very basic uh, protocol is makes it even doubly more damning in my mind. So anyway, with that, I will let you go on. <laughs> well, what, yeah, was I mean, the beef recalled, Andrew? Did the beef get recalled? No, so none of the beef was recalled, ah, unfortunately. So it stayed and in though, the system. Great. Yeah, though, though the USDA has the power to recall meat that's mislabeled, Absolutely. which this meat clearly was, um, yeah, there was no recall issued. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, and you, you said at the top something about 700 animals, and we're happy to talk about the specifics of the study. I think what's what's important to note is that the, the paper was looking at data from a, a very large slaughterhouse um, that, you know, during the period that they were testing represented something like 12% of all raised without antibiotic cattle in the United States. Wow. So this wasn't a small test or an aberration, you know, you know while Farm Forward's testing, we, we, we sampled a small number of animals overall. Food, ID, you know, this, this company, Food ID, that was ultimately doing the testing at the slaughterhouse and was one of the co-authors of the paper, you know, they, they tested 700 animals, but, you know, it represented a much larger percentage of the total U.S. Uh, mm -hmm. raised without antibiotic cattle, but these these drugs should never be in these products. We we should never, and no one should have ever been able to find residues of right. antibiotics in any of these products, given what they're labeled as. Um, and, you know, I think that that speaks to and raises this much larger question, which is who are verifying these kinds of claims on on meat, whether it's raised without antibiotics or humanely raised, any of these sort of animal husbandry right. um, labels and claims you know, who, who's verifying them and, and does that verification work? And, you know, both our results and, and this article in science, I think, you know, very clearly can lead the public to assume that they don't work in all cases. And we have serious reasons to be concerned that um, there are either bad actors or bad practices slipping through the system. Uh, now, just to be clear, who is responsible for offering the raised without antibiotics label? Just the producer or is uh, USDA or Food Safety and Inspection Service, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the part of the USDA that does that does inspect meat? Um, who, who is the one who is res ultimately responsible for that label and for uh, assuring compliance? Yeah, so ultimately it is the USDA and the FSIS, Food Safety Inspection Service, as you suggested, is responsible for overseeing all those sort of laws governing labeling in meat and poultry and processed egg products. Mm -hmm. And for the RWA label in particular, you know, you would think that there would be a, you know, rigorous process by which the USDA would evaluate evidence from meat companies who want to use this claim Um in reality, the USDA conducts a one-time review of meat companies' application. Um, there's never an on-farm audit. There's no ongoing testing to ensure this claim is accurate. So basically, wow. the meat companies are saying, hey, we'd like to use the claim raised without antibiotics, and you should take our word for it, and here, here's why you should take our word for it. And the USDA says, okay, sure, stamps it once, and that's the end of the day. That's it. So meat companies can use that label in perpetuity. Um, without demonstrating, providing really any actual evidence that those claims are correct. Wow. And with nobody who is, uh, you know, coming to do inspections to assure that there is compliance with those right. with those specifications. I think that's the that's the part that is really stunning, I have to say. Um, 
that not only can you just file whatever paperwork you feel like, but but there's nobody minding the store once you have. I mean, that that really says speaks volumes about the USDA, which, you know, let's remind people uh, that this is an agency that, especially over the last four years, literally bled personnel. I mean, the meat industry has been lobbying for decades to get as many USDA inspectors out of <laughs> the slaughterhouses uh, through various uh, programs that they claim will increase our food safety, but which have uh, been demonstrated not to do so. I speak specifically of the one that's called HIMP. I can't remember what the acronym for that is, but um, but it's 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 the process uh, where they're going to actually speed up uh, the processing line, but they're going to have um, the inspectors focusing on microbial. Uh, swabs at the end of the line rather than is inspecting along the line for all of the many other reasons why animal carcasses can be rejected, including cancerous tumors, uh, you know, disease. I mean, mm-hmm. all, all manner of nastiness that goes on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so they don't have enough inspectors to start with. So it's, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that this happens, but at the same time, it is shocking. This episode is proudly supported by Southern Peanut Growers, who are spreading the word about peanut sustainability. As the planet's resources are strained to meet the nutritional needs of its populations, many responsible chefs are doing their part by sourcing local and sustainably raised food. Many are surprised to learn that peanuts are one of the most sustainable plant-based proteins available. Southern Peanut Growers created the campaign Making Sustainable More Attainable in partnership with award-winning chef Stephen Satterfield. Together, they're bringing the sustainability message to chefs nationwide. Whether it's conserving water, minimizing fertilizers, or achieving zero waste, peanuts are a logical choice for your next menu. Southern peanut growers represent farmers across Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, and Alabama. For more information, visit www.peanutbutterlovers.com. I want to talk a little bit about the money aspect of this. Um, how much more money is an animal worth if it is raised without antibiotics? Is there a, like yeah, a percentage so, you could offer? Yes, yeah, significantly more. So it depends on the product and depends mm-hmm. on the the animal. Um, but you know, for example, you can look at a chicken product that's marketed as raised without antibiotics. They were on average two dollars and twenty three uh, cents more per pound than conventional chicken products. Wow. So 55% markup on conventional products. So, you know, these labels um, command a significant premium, which is, you know, and when you when you understand that there's a lot of money to be made mm-hmm. selling meat that's raised without antibiotics or animal welfare certified, you can begin to understand how the incentives might be misaligned here when you have... <laughs> You know, government agencies like the USDA that are effectively asleep at the at the wheel. They are they are not regulating these claims meaningfully. And you have third party certifications. You know, supposedly third party certifications like Global Animal Partnership, which are you know providing the sort of veneer of independent verification, but in reality are you know auditing farms once every other year. Um, you can see that the, you know producers would have very strong incentives to you know use a growth promoting antibiotic. 
uh, or use a drug when animals are sick and not remove them from the system as they're supposed to because they command a huge premium for these products. Um, So without meaningful verification and with a significant premium, it should be no surprise that there's bad actors in the system. Absolutely. I mean, really, it's like surprising that there's anybody who does it honestly. Yep. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you how what what percentage of American beef, or I guess we could even go just American meat, is sold with the RWA label? I mean, that's become more and more, obviously more and more lucrative, but it's also more mm-hmm. and more consumers are looking mm-hmm. for that label and are willing to pay that premium. Do you have any figures right. that uh, relate to that? Absolutely. Yeah. So the potential market for RWA meat in general is is big. A recent survey, um, consumer survey, found that something like two thirds of consumers um, think that antibiotic free labels are important. Um, and something like you know the industry is one of the fastest growing sectors of the meat industry in general, mm-hmm. uh, seeing double digit annual growth. Uh, so the sort of like premium and natural meat market, which includes, you know, organic and uh, raised without antibiotics, and animal welfare certified, um, it's one of the fastest growing sectors in the meat market. Um, it's still small, you know, it's still it's still probably less than um, 10%, probably more like 5% of the of the national meat market. Um, you know, and you can imagine then that, you know, we and others have now found significant evidence of the use of drugs in you know these premium markets that are supposedly you know have checks and balances in place. Um, and it's not hard to imagine then that the rest of the industry um, is much dirtier. Um, right. You know, if, if this is what's happening in the in the RWA market, um, what's happening in the conventional market is is probably even more uh, even more scary. So. You know, as part of our own testing, we sampled a, a pretty small number of conventional beef products. I, I just bought basically beef off shelves in, in San Francisco where I live. And mm-hmm. um, we, we were buying a brand called Certified Angus Beef, um, which is a well-known, oh, yes. well-known I actually, American brand. I know those guys well. I, I know the people who run it. It's a, it's a pretty good outfit, really. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about them sort of personally, but of the of the three um, meat products that of theirs that we purchased, two of them tested positive for ractopamine, which is a right. beta agonist drug that's been banned in 180 countries that's right. over concerns about impacts to human health. So, um, you know, these are these drugs, whether they're antibiotics, antimicrobials, beta agonists, you know, basically drugs that improve the economic performance of animals raised in confinement operations are widely, widely used. These are really a cornerstone of the conventional meat industry. That's true. The ractopamine, I mean, that, it, that as you say, has been banned in over 180 countries. Um, it, it, it's not just that we don't want it in our bodies, uh, although it's similar to the drugs that are used to control asthma, for example. Um, beta agonists, it works somehow in the same way, but it's obviously not the same drug. But um, but it, it contributes uh, in terrible ways to very poor animal welfare outcomes. Uh, the you know there have been documented cases. I'm just letting people know because this was like a hobby horse of mine for quite a while. You know the literally the hoof, the the you know fingernail part of an animal of a cow's hoof will fall off. Uh, it causes them to, you know, have all sorts of mobility issues and gait issues. It does terrible things to pigs, where it is very widely used in the hog industry, not so much in the mm-hmm. poultry. Um, 
So that, mm-hmm. but that, that drug is not, you know, since it's not considered an antibiotic and it's legal in the United States, I'm not in any way surprised that it is found uh, in samples of conventionally raised beef uh, or, or pork for that matter. Um, yeah. But it's still, I, I want to go back to something again about GAP. Like, so who, who is GAP? Who is Global Animal Partnership? Who set those standards? Yes. Who who is minding that store? Who is in charge? Who's making money? I'm always looking for who's yeah. making the money. Do you have yeah. insight into so, that? Sure. Yeah. So just for context, so Farm Forward was one of the founding board members of, of GAP. Yeah. Uh, we served on the board until 20, uh, 2019. And uh, you know, it was a program initially set up by Whole Foods. The idea was we would create these uh, independent standards that um, you know, meat companies who wanted to sell to Whole Foods would have to comply to. Um, and it was an unusual structure in that it was set up with sort of equal representation from farmed animal protection organizations and meat industry executives, sort of creating this healthy tension and balance between, you know, the interests of folks like us who want uh, farmed animals to be raised in high welfare conditions and farmers and ranchers who are trying to sell meat at a profit right. and um, are, you know, responsible for the day-to-day raising of animals and so can give good insights in some cases on, you know, how what production practices work and which ones don't. Right. Unfortunately, over time, our perspective changed that we, we really felt that um, GAP was sort of no longer upholding its original vision to create, um, you know, incentives for farmers to continuously improve their practices over time. And we think that, you know, GAP now primarily serves to, you know, mislead and convince the public that uh, the practices of the meat companies that it certifies are better than they really are. Uh-huh. Um, it's, a certif- it's a certification, I think, that primarily benefits Whole Foods. Um, GAP's executive director is a, uh, a Whole Foods employee, um, and it's a <laughs> certification that's primarily or almost exclusively used by, by Whole Foods. Um, yes. And, you know, the reality is when most Whole Foods shoppers, and this is sort of borne out by consumer survey work that we did last year, um, you know, most shoppers are looking for, when they're looking for animal welfare labels, they think it means that animals are raised on pasture. It means animals have access to the outdoors. Right. Um, and, you know, in reality, most of the animals raised um, by meat companies selling to Whole Foods are modified factory farms. These are, these are operations that are using, you know, complete confinement practices um, and are slightly better than the industry, you know, they're they're giving animals maybe a little more space, or they're giving them environmental enrichments, but they fall very short of what the public expects these labels and claims to mean. Mm-hmm. And Whole Foods knows this, um, and so the solution, instead of requiring better practices that actually meet their customers' expectations, they've made changes to the Gap label in such a way that it's making it harder and harder for uh, Whole Foods shoppers to differentiate between the products that are just a little bit better than industry standards and the small number of products that, um, you know, are actually from animals raised entirely on pasture, um, which is what the public wants. Right, right. And it's interesting because within that GAP certification, there are three grades, aren't there? Don't they have three, one, two, and three, like indicating levels? Yeah, it actually has five levels, uh, one through five, um, one being sort of, you know, slightly modified industrial practices, step five 
five being, you know, very high welfare farms, animals raised entirely on pasture. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, you know, stores, Whole Foods, you know, sold a real mix of products. They would sell, you know, some step one products or two products that might be lower cost, but then they'd also have grass-fed, grass-finished products, and they'd have pasture poultry, and they'd have, you know, um, free-range or, or pasture pigs. And increasingly, that's that's not the case. They mm-hmm. really consolidated their supply chain, and now by volume, you know, the majority of sure. the products they sell are from animals raised in confinement. And while they have this five-step program, and when you used to go into Whole Foods, you'd look at the label and you'd see, um, you know, the Gap label with a number by it. You'd see, okay, this was a this was a Gap Step One product. And if you were a consumer, you could then make an informed choice about, okay, you know, I'm I'm willing to pay more for the pasture-raised product, or you know, not today. I don't. I'm going to buy just the Gap Step One product. Um, they've removed those numbers from the labels. Now it just says animal welfare certified, mm-hmm. and there's there's very little or no information, identifying information on the products that would help a consumer tell the difference between, you know, an animal raised in confinement and an animal raised on pasture. Mm-hmm. And that's intentional. That that that. Uh, um, lack of information, um, you know, that opaqueness is intentional because, you know, they know that their consumers expect more than they're getting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm trying, I'm thinking back to like, when did I last see those labels? I don't have a Whole Foods right near me. So it's been quite a while since I shopped in one. Um, but I'm guessing mm-hmm. that I would bet that that trans, that change occurred around the time that Bezos acquired Whole Foods. Do you have any insight into that? Just, you know, yeah, you know, it's a matter of yeah, curiosity, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what impact the Amazon purchase has had on Whole Foods. I mean, it, it's clear that the trend has accelerated over the last few years that they really consolidated their supply chains. Mm-hmm. That pressure may have come from, you know, Amazon yep. um, and them adopting, you know, uh, you know, more quote unquote streamlined, you know, uh, supply uh, chain uh, practices, right. supply chain practices. Yeah, but the, you know, it's been pretty well documented that you know. Whole Foods changes towards, um, you know, let's say uh, getting rid of or firing many of their like local forager positions or um, uh, no longer buying as many products from, you know, local or regional producers. That that trend has been underway for quite a while and has been well documented. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's been a sort of an open not even an open secret. It's just been an openly reported fact about uh, Whole Foods over the last, you know, to five years. Yeah, because I remember when we first started the radio station, we had a regular guest on who was a, a local forager for Whole Foods, a marvelous young woman, mm-hmm. um, really delightful yeah. and was, you know, filled with enthusiasm and, and you know, loyalty towards the thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't know if she still works there. This is, we're going back 12 years, but it was, I mean, it was notable. I mean, that, you know, grocery store chains didn't do that. They weren't buying local stuff from anybody. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting that all of that, you know, language has gone away from uh, their style of advertising and branding. Very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew, talk. I want to talk for like two seconds about what. What is you know why why do people like us bang on about antibiotic overuse in livestock? I want people to understand just how serious this problem is. So can you explain a little bit uh, about what that means in terms of global and or public health in general? Sure. I'll do a, a pretty hackney job of it, not being a public health. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, but, but I mean, there's, there's the, some startling the, um, facts and figures, and I'm sure you no, have. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, happy to happy to do it. So, you know, the, the basic point is that, you know, using routinely antibiotics on farms makes them less effective for human use. And um, this has been something that, you know, antibiotic uh, advocates have been warning about for 60 years. This is something oh, yeah. we know that the overuse of antibiotics makes them less effective for human use over time. And the, the situation at this point is now really a, a crisis. Uh, recent research uh, data from 2019, though the study was just published this year, found that almost 5 million people died from illnesses where um, antibiotic-resistant bacteria played a part. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, basically drug-resistant infections, just for scale, you know, are killing more people than HIV and AIDS or malaria by, you know, fivefold. Wow. Um, and, you know, global public health agencies are warning that, you know, the, they're predicting that by 2050, something like 10 million people could die every year from antibiotic uh, resistant infections. Um, you know, this is this is what people talk about when they say, you know, the, the end of the antibiotic era. It means that, you know, previously routine infections or surgeries could be fatal. It means that, you know, uh, illnesses that you can get in a hospital that used to be treated with a course of antibiotics are now resistant to, you know, all courses of antibiotics and are leading to, you know, uh, early mortality. People, people dying when they, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago wouldn't have. Right. Um, and sort of on, on top of that, you've got fewer and fewer new antibiotics being developed. And there's a host of reasons that Dr. Price could better speak to about why that is. But the, you know, the end result is that you've got, you know, farmers and ranchers using huge volumes of antibiotics to compensate for, you know, effectively bad conditions. Mm -hmm. And those drugs becoming less effective for human use and, and the public suffering because of it. So, right. you know, when we talk about, oh, well, we've got, you know, cheap meat, uh, isn't cheap meat great? Um, the answer is, well, that's it's it's only cheap if we're not paying for all of the other things that uh, it, it then contributes to things like environmental pollution or antibiotic resistant the spread of antibiotic resistant bacteria. Yeah, I mean, just um, the cost of illness from antibiotic resistant bacteria should be enough. You know, the loss of productivity, the loss of economic activity and so on from people who are hospitalized for what used to be, you know, nothing. I mean, you know, when you go into the hospital for a procedure now, you're swabbed for MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, which is a killer. And they don't really have a cure for that. And yet, you know, like I was in the hospital last year. I got swabbed. By golly, I had it. I had MRSA in my nose. And that goes and that's wow. one of those zoonotic diseases that goes back and forth between animals and humans. You know, it's like, I mean, it's, oh. it's really, it's the, the here is now <laughs> it's mm -hmm. here and it's now. Right. Yeah. So it's, yes. it's, I mean, it's not something that we can just pretend is going to go away because I don't know what. And of course the legislators, the FDA tried to regulate some of these drugs. Uh, what, like during the Obama administration around 2011 or 12, they came out with guidances about, you know, no more growth promoting, but of course you're still going to use a subtherapeutic dose to, you know, maintain prophylactically their health, you know, I mean, all these mm -hmm. loopholes within these guidelines, which have resulted in, in fact, an uptick 
in antibiotic use over the last couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. I did a show recently about it. That's 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 right. Yeah, there there had been you know when when those rules uh, went into place in the Obama administration, Rule Two Seventeen, it was called. Right. Um, you know, there 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 was some positive. Um, you know, positive voluntary movement. Right. Um, you know, but over, as you said, over the last three to four years that, you know, those positive trends have now been reversed. That's right. In the last couple of years, we've seen an increase in the volume of antibiotics used. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the cost, you know, for human health and it's, it's scary that you had, you know, uh, MRSA in your nose, but, you know, the, the cost, as you said, nationally for us is something like $55 billion a year. You know, this is, we're talking about huge sums of money yeah. that it costs us just to have these, you know, these drugs being over and misused on animal farms. Right, right. And it's and by the way, it has an impact on animal health as well, because then they're not effective for the animals either. So the animals are suffering more than they might necessarily need to. I mean, it, you know, that's just another another little byproduct of this. And then, of course, there's the fact that it's being excreted and, you know, either going into our streams and waterways or onto our land for manure, you know, for uh, fertilizer, or it's being airborne in particulate matter. I mean, I, I interviewed a professor from Brown University earlier this year who had done a study on Narragansett Bay. I live in Rhode Island. And uh, they had samples of antibiotic-resistant bacteria that had, and they could, through DNA testing, they could, or genetic sequencing, they could identify where it came from. It came from farms in the Midwest. It's coming in mm -hmm. the airstream and dropping through the rain into our bodies of water and onto our land. I mean, it's, it's absolutely unconscionable that nothing is, you know, we cannot, it's like gun control. We can't seem to move the needle on this. It's really amazing. So let's, in the remaining few minutes that we have, let's talk about the kind of policy reform that we would need to take place that would, mm -hmm. you know, give the public the sense that there is somebody, in fact, in charge here uh, who has public health mm -hmm. in mind <laughs> rather mm -hmm. than profit. Because, you know, profit over people, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, the USDA needs to require that any animal uh, bearing and any animal raising claim, whether it's uh, humanely raised or raised without antibiotics, um, they need to prove with ongoing evidence that those claims are accurate. You know, this uh, the, one of the companies that was doing this testing, Food ID, you know, they they developed a low cost real time testing uh, technology for. Uh, live animals really? that meat companies can use today. They can, you know, they, and there are other companies like this, you know, there, this isn't an exclusive technology. There are products now in the market that make this kind of testing available to producers and the USDA should require it. Simple as that. It, right. If you're going to make these claims, you should prove that they're accurate. That, that, that should be the very lowest bar. Right. Um, and until they do, you know, retailers like Whole Foods, should be requiring that the meat companies test as well. Um, if you're if you're a retailer or a restaurant company, and you're marketing and making profit from meat, you know, boldly claimed to be raised without antibiotics or no antibiotics ever, prove it. You should be required to, uh, and you should require of your suppliers that they produce evidence to demonstrate that those claims are accurate. And that's the very least that your customers should expect that you can provide that kind of data to the public transparently. That's right. There are already there are already meat companies who are selling, you know, uh, raised without antibiotics um, uh, meat products, and they're putting information on their packaging that lets consumers scan a code and go to a website and get an independent report to demonstrate that that meat product was tested and came back clean for antibiotic residues. 
that should be the bar for all uh, products. It's like we, we should be able to, you know, in, in, the, in an age of technology and, and sort of like, you know, consumer action, we should be able to get this information about products yes. and retailers should require it. So, you know, the fact that Whole Foods, you know, says all their meat is always antibiotic free, but doesn't do anything to verify that that claim is correct. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to demand better of, of them and, and other companies who are who are making these. Yeah, claims absolutely. especially with the profit margin that they're making on it. I mean, it really is. It's it's unconscionable. It's it's food fraud, which you know is a multi billion dollar you know in the tens of billions of dollars worth of industry uh, as it is uh, you know. But you don't. I mean, food fraud. You know, you think it's like fish that's mislabeled, or it's olive oil that's not where mm -hmm. it's from, or it's honey that isn't what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, but you, you don't think that it's your own very own meat supply, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it suggests to Absolutely. me that that they're buying meat from other countries. Uh, say Brazil, JBS, you know, people like actors like that, um, who have no such requirements, uh, on, and their, you know, their cattle producers are, are pumping their animals absolutely full of this stuff, um, because of the conditions that they're living in. So, you know, that is one of the reasons why there's a segment of the beef industry now, for instance, that's begging for country of origin labeling to come back, uh, which was, you know, crushed by the World Trade Organization, uh, you know, and pressure from within and without. Um, so, you know, if we could identify exactly where our meat is coming from, we'd probably have be able to have a better handle on the supply chain uh, and the ability to test it uh, before it gets to a consumer uh, who's paid premium dollar yeah. for it, right? Yeah, though, having said that, you know, both the testing that we did and the science article, these were all cattle raised and killed in the United oh, States. Right? So, yeah, it may be that there are that you know that international producers, you know, that regulating international producers for antibiotics is, is you know even more challenging than producers in the U.S. That may be true, but it's not like U.S. producers are necessarily uh, better by virtue of being in the U.S. The profit margins and profit motive remains the same for U.S. Of producers. So I think we need to test all of them, you know, and it's not like you need to test every animal, but you need to test a statistically significant portion of sure. them. And, you know, we, we tested a, a small portion, food ID tested a small portion. We shouldn't have been able to find products with antibiotics right. in them. And, um, you know, and companies who are making these claims can easily afford to, <laughs> um, you, you know, uh, to test 10% uh, or something of the products that they're selling to make sure that the claims they're making. Well, and, and if you think about it from the economic standpoint, if you can make that claim on your label and give the QR code, as you just described, some companies is doing already. I mean, I would be a consumer who would check that out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, and that would encourage yeah. me to buy that brand on a regular basis. I mean, it seems like a very basic and marketing idea. That's I think that's exactly exactly right. And if there is sort of hope for um, for change, you know, obviously we, we have to demand that the USDA do better. Um, we know that the USDA is a fairly captured industry and that the meat industry likes the status quo as it yes. is. So forcing change at the USDA is going to be incredibly difficult, though, of course, we have to try. Um, you know, but in the meantime, you know, consumers can look out for brands that are, whether it's a, a meat brand or whether it's a retailer or, a, or another kind of, you know, restaurant or food company who are not just making marketing claims, but who are demonstrating with proof who are saying, yeah, you know, I, I sell raised without antibiotics meat and here's the evidence for right. it. And that, you know, if consumers become more skeptical, if we say, you know, and, and consumers, I think, already know that these claims by and large are not trustworthy. And so we just need to take that next step, which is 
we need to opt out of those products that are, you know, not meeting our uh, our standards for transparency and trust right. um, and reward those who are. Um, and that's, I think, then when some of this sort of like voluntary, um, voluntary cleanup might happen. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. But that's the bottom line is, is that consumers uh, cannot rely upon government agencies or, you know, supposedly squeaky clean <laughs> retailers. And really, you have to be your own advocate in this as in everything else. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up here, but I want people to learn more about Farm Forward. Andrew, so give yourself a plug and tell people how they can learn more about your organization. Thank you. Yeah, folks can find us uh, on the web at farmforward.com. Um, we've got a banner right now up on the homepage that uh, can help uh, can help us demand better of retailers like Whole Foods. We're asking Whole Foods to implement this kind of verification for all of their meat supply mm -hmm. chain. Thousands of people have already signed up on that petition to help us put pressure on on them and others. And uh, we hope you'll join us. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation, Andrew. I look forward to our next opportunity. I really, truly do. <laughs> Always Thanks. a good Always time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. Thanks so much to my sponsor for whom I did not make a break. Uh, but I know Armin will for me. <laughs> Batting a thousand today, kids. Uh, so long for now. And uh, we'll pick it up next week with another interesting dive into the food system. Stay tuned for that. So long for now. What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.